Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. Welcome to another edition of Homeschooling Helps with Andrea Schwartz, sponsored by the Calcedon Foundation. And this is the last week of 2018, June, and summer started last week. And today's topic is a summer topic. So, Nancy, why don't you set the stage for what we're going to talk about today? Right, Andrea, it is summer and it is hot and everybody has been working the books, working the books, working the books, and they're like ready to ditch them. But, you know, we got to finish. You know, we have to finish all our lessons and catch up before we hit the vacation and hit the swimming pool and all those things that, that we want to do in the summer. So, um, you know, sometimes moms, you know, in other schools will sometimes give a, a signed reading list, you know, what to do over the summer. And moms are often challenged, you know, by um, should we just close the book and be done? Should we finish the book? Should we, you know, get a head start on next year's curriculum <coughs> what yeah. we do during the summer? You know, what should we really be doing? Should we homeschool all through the summer or take a break? What do you think? Okay. Well, first of all, during the 28 years I homeschooled, I did both and okay. it depended. And so much about a homeschool environment and decisions depends on the context in your particular situation. Your family considerations should be near the top of the list, not at the very top of the list. And I'll get into that in a little bit but near the top of the list because a lot depends on what geographical location you live in. If you have been snowed in for 10 months out of the year and now the sun is shining and you have opportunities, you don't want to miss those opportunities. If right. your husband's work um, involves, he gets a certain amount of time off at a certain time of year. Not everybody does it in the summer. And so, vacations don't necessarily have to happen in the summer. So this goes back to my encouragement to homeschooling families, <clears throat> excuse me, my encouragement to them to plan. If you make a plan, it's not that you can never adjust the plan. It's that you have a plan. And so if you know that school's going to be done by the end of June or the end of May, and that's how you've planned it, then you'll probably meet that plan. It's kind of like if you know you have company, you clean your house. If their company is coming on Saturday, the house is clean on Saturday. It won't matter if the house is clean on Monday because your company is coming on Saturday. So right. people tend to work well with deadlines and you can set a deadline, but then again, there might be circumstances, an illness or you know, a natural disaster where there's a flood or something that happened during the year and so you have to adjust. So that's my first part of the answer. Okay. So um, in our, uh, where we live, there's a lot of homeschooling folks that are in a rural community. <laughs> they have to t 
take a break from things and go plant when it's time to plant or harvest when it's time to harvest their crops. Or if, um, you know, in February when the lambs are being born, they got to tend to that. So, um, so I think that it is a significant and very important point that we realize the circumstances of our, of our lifestyle. So that's, that's a great point. So and we let's be clear. Let's be clear. Originally summer vacation had everything to do more than likely with planting and agriculture and whatnot. Then it got into, well, teachers only have to work 10 months out of the year instead of 12 months out of the year. And, you know, it costs a lot to keep schools cool because you have to run air conditioning and things like that. So things that are set in stone, we have to make sure that we're not setting things in stone that are really arbitrary things. There's nothing in the scripture that says you must not do school June, July, and August. Okay, right. so we don't have to keep a calendar year, a school calendar year, similar to the um, the other public or private day schools. We can totally work our own. Yes and no. If you are running your own homeschool and you're not part of a homeschool support group that has requirements and certain things you have to do, things that you agree to do, then you need to fulfill your agreement. I'm not saying that they say they want all the paperwork in by May and you decide, you know what, I'm just not going to do that. If you agreed to certain things to be part of a support group or, you know, these independent study programs, then you have to meet those criteria. And that means that all during the, what you might call your school year, what you're doing is you're making sure that you've met your deadlines. People meet deadlines for things that they have to do. If you know that something is expiring at a certain amount of time and you have to renew it, if you don't do it, then there are consequences. So discipline yourself as the homeschool person that is going to say, okay, this is where we're at. So maybe if you're not close to finishing what you want to finish, what you have to do is step it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think that another thing that, that um, folks can do is, you know, draw a line or put a marker in that book and say, when we come back to book work, we'll pick it up there and not necessarily um, have to complete the whole textbook, but just continue in that pick up, pick up where you need to. Right. Would you, would you agree with that? Well, the reason I'm smiling is because I thought when I started homeschooling, you had to finish the textbook. (laughs) Only to discover in public schools, they rarely finish the textbook. Right. And if you know anything about how textbooks are arranged, textbooks include whatever starts at the the beginning of the textbook is usually going to be repeated in the next grade at the beginning of the textbook because they figure we're going to have to kickstart everybody again. So finishing the textbook, especially if you know where you're going for the next year, you'll be able to see there's a lot of repetition. So how that helped me and then incentivized my children is I would say to them, if we get this done, when we start the next textbook, I'm going to see the stuff that you already know. And we're just going to start on chapter 15 as opposed to chapter one. And it gave them an idea that we just don't have to do all this busy work all the time. Right, right, right. This may be a little, um, 
uh, side note to the summer activities, but uh, in that same vein, one of the things that we would do when we would get a textbook is I would sometimes let the kids just just flip to the back and take the take the test. And if they could pass the test perfectly, then they didn't even have to review or, or work through that. So so it was an easy way. Uh, we talked about testing last week. It was an easy way to test and say, do you already know this material? Fine. Move forward. If not, OK, we'll linger here for a little while. And sometimes the summer is a good time to to do that, you know, just to, to linger in places that you need to. So so even though we may not we may be kind of closing sort of the official books for the summer, it permits us to um, explore different methods and um, different just dig in deeper in places that we that we have found of interest. And again, this goes back to, you know, your child. If your child doesn't do any of um, his or her math work for two months and you know that you're going to have a very, very um, stale uh, experience when you start again, why not say we're going to do this, you know, on, on Wednesdays because we know we're not going anyplace on Wednesdays. You have to sit down and you have to do a chapter or something like that mm-hmm. because we don't want school and education to be confused with each other. Education is not the same thing as school. So you don't want your children to stop being educated during the summer months. They might have different opportunities for education and you should look at it that way. Okay. Slow down there just a minute, because I know we may have some people that haven't been following along. Um, Talk again about the difference between school and education. Okay. Education is preparation for usefulness in life. God calls us to learn. He calls us then to acquire knowledge and skills and then to be able to use them to serve the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Schooling may be specific kind of training. For example, most schools will teach reading, writing, and arithmetic as the base. They don't teach cleaning your home making, uh, preparing meals or doing your laundry. Yet those are things that need to be taught. And a person who can't feed himself, clothe himself, or keep where he lives clean and healthy, I don't care how much book work he knows, he's not necessarily useful to himself or other people. So what we want to look at is opportunities to acquire skills that will be useful, not acquire skills that have no use, And that's how the homeschooling mom and dad make the decisions what we're going to focus on. Summertime, a lot of things are available that aren't during the year. I doubt if you live in Montana, they do swimming lessons year round. Well, I live in California and you can do swimming lessons year round. So maybe you're going to acquire the skill of learning how to swim if you're in Montana when you don't have to get into a pool and freeze Mm -hmm. that's how you would make those kinds of decisions. So those things could count for, for school in terms of maybe it is exercise or um, teamwork and and things like that. That's part of being educated. It may count for school, but we don't have to make that distinction. Right. I know that for a while I would have the kids do schoolwork during the summer. And then there came a point where my daughters 
became active in competitive sports and it was golf. And there were lots of tournaments scheduled for the summer. Well, we didn't stop any kind of academics altogether. I would say, okay, I expect you to read what book you're reading. And I would let them choose their reading material, but it wasn't practical to have a set schedule. Well, I thought at first this was going to be something where they were going to be very dissatisfied because all the other golfers were golfers that went to other schools. And it was just the opposite. When they would interact with other golfers, they'd say, oh, I wish my mom would homeschool me. You're so lucky. And my girls never said, oh, I really wish we could go to school because they got to see how much other people disliked school. And they didn't really dislike, you know, it wasn't like we like it or we don't like it, but they were a sense of fulfillment and they didn't really think they were missing out. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, one of the, the last school assignments that my son had before we took him out of, um, out of public school, he was looking uh, to answer some questions and we, we provided uh, encyclopedias. So he got into the encyclopedias with the intention on answering a question off of his public school, um, you know, thing. And when he got in there and he started seeing all the other um, information there was, he got distracted. And he started looking at this and started looking at that, started looking at something else. And I remember distinctly, he, he stopped and he said, oh, I've got to quit learning all this stuff so I can answer my question. And I thought, <laughs> wow, <laughs> is it, isn't that a shame that we have to stop the learning to answer the question? And, I, you know, I just I hope that that moms would take that um, the summer to, to really just get outside the books and say, you know, just learn and explore and, and let those uh, follow those little bunny trails and get off of the time schedule and outside the box during the summer if you don't do anything else. Right. But you could also adjust that just a little bit during the year as your student is, you know, taking those bunny trails take note of what things are of interest. I remember my youngest was really interested in the Great Lakes and she kept saying, oh, someday we'll get to go see the Great Lakes. Well, as it just so happened, her older sister had a tournament in Ohio. And while her sister was doing that, the younger one and I went up and we got to see the Great Lakes. And along the way back, because it was Ohio, Pennsylvania, we went through Amish country and we stopped and we got a chance to. So we learned a lot, but we prepared for it because she already knew a lot about it. And so you can organize your learning in terms of if you know you're going to Hawaii. Well, let's study about Hawaii. Let's study about the history of Hawaii ahead of time. So when you go there, you have some knowledge ahead of time. Early on in our homeschooling journey, I had um, uh, an experienced person tell me um, that we would never, ever take a vacation again. We would never take a vacation again. From now on, it's all going to be a field trip. So that's exactly right. (laughs) We don't miss any opportunity to count it as education and school and document what we do because it is part of, of the days that the Lord has given us. And we want to be thankful and, and, and not, not put a lid on those things. Right. That's part and parcel of what makes homeschooling potentially a vibrant activity for the family because it involves everyone. So let's say like some of the women I know and mentor, you have 
six, seven, eight, nine, ten children. Well, obviously, the five-year-old and the 15-year-old are going to approach wherever you go and whatever you do slightly differently, right. but they still can participate in it. And you'd be amazed at how much younger children remember from experiences that you'll think, oh, you'll never remember this. I used to say that to my youngest all the time. And she'd say, no, yes, I do. I remember exactly. And she could say back to me what the tour guide said or how he said it. So I think we can underestimate ourselves in terms of how to turn, as you put it, everything into a field trip. Yeah. Okay. So what else? Tell me some more of your great summer uh, stories and some of the things that we should be doing in the summer. Okay, well, I told you before that the family's schedule and the family's priorities were close to the top of the list, but they weren't at the absolute top of the list. And this has to do with an aspect of biblical law that most people are unfamiliar with. Some of us are. And when we found out about it, at first it was like, really, God says to do this? Well, if you're familiar with the subject of the tithe, Most people say, oh, yeah, you tithe your 10 percent. And that was classified. And we talk about it as the Levitical tithe. And that can be a subject for another time we discuss things because most people don't even understand properly how that tithe should be distributed. But along with that Levitical tithe, there's a poor tithe, which means that you set aside money to help those who are in need and the poor. But then there's this thing called a rejoicing tithe. And it's meant so that you will rejoice before the Lord. Now, during the Older Testament times, people would go to Jerusalem and they would celebrate the Passover or they celebrate the Feast of Booths or whatever. So they had set feast days that people would do this. Well, there's nothing in scripture that tells us that we should stop rejoicing before the Lord. And so imagine if you planned your summer vacation to be a time not only where you got to see sites, but you planned to be with other believers, people maybe that you know on Facebook, people that you have had some sort of interaction with because you have a common uh, interest or desire. And now this spending money for vacation isn't necessarily selfish. Should we actually do this? The Bible commands us to do this. And if you're doing it with a God-centered focus and that you are making sure part and parcel of this time away from home, this recreation or recreation, which is what the word means, is spent with those of the family of God. And I know people who use their rejoicing tithe to go to Christian conferences or to meet up with other people and they camp together. Um, And if Jesus Christ is at the focus, then it not only honors God, but it's an educational moment to say, our God is such a great God. He wants us to build into our budgets, along with the social financing of the Levitical tithe, along with the poor tithe to help those who are in need, that our family rejoices before the Lord. Wow. Uh, Okay. Now, I know that I've, I've heard of the Levitical tithe We've read Rushdini. We've studied a little bit on this. We need to study more, obviously. But it's a great reminder and it, of how God has even built into our, our structure and commanded us to rest and rejoice before him. It is the, it is the, it is the privilege of being his 
And so often we don't recognize it. We just we just consider tithe writing a church check or vacation, you know, a time to get away from work or, well, you know, we're homeschoolers, so we're going to make it educational. Like the idea that God actually commands us to take time out of the routine, specified time, regular time, not just on Sundays, but during a a week, like a whole week. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah, a good way to look at this is that there are two orientations to the law. The law is either an oppressive burden or it's a tremendous blessing. Now, when Jesus says, put my yoke upon you, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. What he's telling us is follow my law and you'll see you'll be blessed by it. So the whole idea that our God would built in to the fabric of our life, six days of work, one day of rest, six years of labor and one year, a sabbatical year. And we can talk at some later date about what that would even look like. But he's also telling us, I want you to be happy. I want you to be joyous. And the reward for following me is to obey me by rejoicing before me. And Mm -hmm. so suddenly there's no guilt. Oh, I feel so bad spending this money on, you know, this trip or plane fares or whatever it is. No, if this is going to bring something that puts kingdom focus and the family of God and rejoicing before God in focus, then we're being obedient. We're not being selfish. Mm-hmm. Wow. We really do need to talk about that some more. We really yeah. do because we can get really bogged down in all the things that we think we're supposed to be doing and forget to rejoice. We forget to, re- we just forget to rejoice and realize that so much that we have to be thankful for. And so much of the, the days of our life are seasonal. You know, um, the kids are going to, are going to grow up, you know, and in part of our proper preparing them for their future um, um, service to the Lord and recognizing his call on our lives is to really in, in the, in the woof and wharf of our lives to look back and see what did God, what does God say is true? What are we supposed to be thinking about these things? What are we supposed to be doing in terms of the days that God has given us on the earth? Right. And when you, when you have that kind of orientation to life, what you're talking about is making Jesus Christ the focus. See, when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. That means the things that your heart will desire. So when you're following God's word, I mean, none of us do it without flaw, but the whole idea of studying God's word is that we'll be better at it so that we won't keep making the same mistakes or missing the mark, right? But when we do that, there should be the expectation that there will be fulfillment, that there will be a sense of purpose. And so I think if our kingdom focus is the umbrella under which everything in homeschool revolves, then when we have the difficult times or we have times where we're not certain what to do, then the scripture can inform us. So how many people would ever have put together the idea of summer vacation and a rejoicing tithe before the Lord? 
Well, if you read the scripture and you understood biblical law, then you'd have to say, hmm, I think we need to do this. I think we need to actually be setting aside time to do it in obedience. And I think the key here ends up always being obedience. Right, right, right. And so God commands us to set money aside to do that. It's not like just frivolous extra luxury, but God commands us time to do that. Commands well, us to we, do better be, we better be setting aside money to do it because God's word also says don't go into debt. So you wouldn't go into debt to rejoice before the Lord. So part of being providential is setting aside things for the future use. Now, that's not a new concept to people. People save for lots of things. They save for retirement. A lot of people save for their children's college education. Well, the scripture doesn't say to do either one of those. It says to be providential, not to basically steal from others by saying others have to give you something that you haven't worked for. So maybe just maybe instead of socking away money in a college fund that people take that kind of those kinds of resources and putting it into deliberate and systematic opportunities to rejoice before the Lord. Mm. But it's part of the tithe. So it's commanded. It's a specific amount and it's supposed to be delegated for that purpose. There's a whole lot of things that we miss out when we don't understand um, when we when we don't even look at the law of God and consider how it applies. These are important things. Yeah. And let me just add that so that a lot of the homeschoolers who will listen to this recording will say, I'm just doing such a lousy job. No, sometimes you haven't been taught. And if there is a deficit in the church today at large, it is that the law of God has been relegated to times past and maybe time future. Keep in mind that if we don't follow God's law, it's not like we'll have no law. There'll just be other law. And so we'll get status law. We'll get humanistic law. And if, in fact, you would like to see the kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the only way that's going to happen is through the application of God's law to every area of life and thought. And this is a re-education process. And I find homeschooling families are prime candidates for this because even if their theology doesn't necessarily support homeschooling, they are responding to the call of the Holy Spirit and they're much more open to understand, wow, God's word even speaks about this. Yes, it does. Yes, because once we start getting outside of that box, whether we're outside the box of um, public school or, you know, numerous, numerous other things, um, you know, once you start thinking outside the box and look and consider what does God say about these things, it, it's it's wonderful. It, it is it is um, true liberty. And that is what we're called to as um as as Christians, That's what we're called. And you use the word liberty. See, liberty and freedom are not the same thing. They all both need a context. Um, there will never be any liberty without God's law being applied, because God's law is the only law that supersedes men. In other words, if I'm in charge and I establish a law, 
That law might be beneficial to some, but it might be very oppressive to others. When we're talking about God's law, it's uniformly applied in terms of those who obey it are blessed and those who disobey it don't receive blessing, they receive judgment. So in the very realist of sense, it's an even playing field. And it's a question of not, not so much do I get to choose to obey God as if um, that it's a valid choice to disobey God. It's just that there will always be consequences and the responsibility of you will basically reap what you sow in your own life and in the lives of your children. So biblical law is a fundamental part of answering the questions like we've brought up these past couple of weeks. What about testing? What about working through the summer? Whatever you do, the scripture says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So whether you do school in the summer or you don't, whether you go on vacation in the summer or you do it in the winter, do it all to the glory of God. Right. And we'll only know if, if it's to the glory of God, when we look and see what is he said we're supposed to be, uh, we're supposed to be doing. Exactly. Exactly. So happy summer, everybody. And um, consider the things we've talked about. And remember that your answer, you, you have to answer to God rather than to us or a school board or everything else, because mm-hmm. he is your primary audience. Right. As we go through these um, different questions and topics about homeschool, I appreciate that you are faithful to, to put it in the context of, um, of biblical law and his call on our life. But um, there are folks that are maybe just, just beginning to hear these things and don't have a, a context for it. I want you to remind folks again about the um, resources that you have at calcedon.edu and um, some of the other things that they, they could dig a little bit deeper here if, if they wanted to. There's that train in the background. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you go to the Calcedon Teacher Training Institute.com or ctti.org, you will see the course Institutes of Biblical Law outlined in terms of lectures in terms of summaries, in terms of reading, and some questions for thought and discussion. So somebody who wants to get involved in learning biblical law can do it at their own pace at no charge. Then at the Calcedon website, calcedon.edu, you can put in any sort of topics that you are interested in knowing about. So today we talked about the tithes and the rejoicing tithe and the Levitical tithe, and you will find out a multitude of information. Now, if you're like me, The more you read, the more questions you have. And that's actually a great thing because somebody once told me, you know how much someone is learning, not so much by the answers they give, but by the questions they ask. And that will then be an opportunity for you to put your questions up where you saw this particular broadcast advertised. And we can deal with those questions on these broadcasts or I can talk to you one-on-one, which is something I love to do. So helping homeschoolers is definitely high on my priority list. And as I said, it's because they're already doing kingdom service, even if they don't necessarily frame it that way. Right. Very good. Well, thank you, Andrea. It is always, always a pleasure. I look forward to next week. God bless you. God bless you too. All right. Take care, everybody.
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My cursor here. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast. Holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.